Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Kids, if, you're, uh, if you um, will uh, get out some paper or whatever and try to write some notes tonight, I'd encourage you to do that. Follow along and uh, see what you can get from the message this evening that will be a help to you to live as well as all of us and believe that the Lord wants to speak to every heart here tonight. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12. Let's read this together. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Let's read out loud together in verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Yes, right now. Father, would you help us? And would you help us to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world that is so wicked? Lord, we are even reminded tonight that we have lived in this world, there's, there's scars, there's pain, there's, there's affliction, uh, there's remembrance from the, the past. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those things, uh, leave them at the cross, submit them to you, find uh, freedom and healing in you and you alone. And then, Lord, I pray that you would also help us to go forward in this very, very dark day and live as shining bright lights for you. So help us, heal us, Whatever is needed tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We said last week that this, this, uh, the first 10 verses of chapter number 2 uh, really are an application of, of doctrine. He says there in chapter number 2 in verse 1, But speak thou the things, the things, the things which become or imbalance with sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. So he wanted Titus to take healthy doctrine and make it practical. The, the basis for everything he said in verses 1 through 10 is really found here in verse 11. He says, for, there's an, a word of explanation, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And so he says, the, the reason that you need to live in the, in the way of verses 1 through 10, you need to make sure that the older men are, are, are living soberly and they're in turn teaching the younger men. The older women are, are living soberly and righteously and without uh, gossip and without slander and, and teaching the younger women to be chaste and, and joyful keepers at home and all these different things, the young men to be sober and so on. The reason you are to live that way is because on the basis of verses 11 and 12, this is the foundation, the grace of God, what God has done in your life. And uh, there is a teaching today that is, is, is wrong, it's hurtful to the church, and it is that the grace of God allows you to live a life as you please. No, the grace of God uh, helps us and gives us the strength to live a life that pleases, pleases God. And so we see that here tonight. And first of all, I want us to see this matter of the grace for salvation. The grace for salvation is a, is a reason you ought to live out verses 1 through 10. The reason we ought to have right relationships within the church body is because of the grace for salvation. Notice this grace for salvation is offered to the undeserving. It says the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. All men. None of us deserve it. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
all deserve the penalty of death for the, the wages of sin is death. And so we all are undeserving. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And yet it says here, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me because God's grace has appeared to me as an undeserving individual. We're all guilty. We're all offenders against the holy God. And yet the offended reached out to the offenders offering grace. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? You're an offender, but the offended one, the offended one reached out to you. Do you remember when that happened? Miss Jeannie mentioned her salvation day tonight. Do you remember when your, your day that you finally came to the realization that his grace was for you and that you accepted it personally? Grace is unmerited favor from God. Some people will define it as God's riches at Christ's expense. That's all true. It's an unmerited favor. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his salvation, yet he reached out to me. Uh, Galatians 3 and verse number 22 says this, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Christ or Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. We're all under sin, but boy, his grace has reached out to us. I praise God for that. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 4 and verse uh, 1, and this is very important for us to realize, there's many that believe that their works are going to get them to heaven, that they're good enough for God. We'll hear that as you ask people, are you going to heaven? Have you been saved? Are you, uh, do you know when you die you'll spend eternity with Jesus? Yes, I've been a good person. Uh, God will certainly accept me. Romans 4 and verse number 1, what shall we say then? that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified, made right before God, is what that word justified means. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned, it's not accounted of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, Jesus, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What's the Bible saying? It isn't by works. It's all of grace. And if it was by works, you would have a reason to boast. Do you realize if you and I were saved by our works and we got to heaven in that way, we were good enough for God, it would be an eternal pride fest an eternal pride fest in the presence of God, there is going to be no man that glories in his, in his presence. None. And so as you meet people this week and as you think about your own life, it is the grace of God that saves us. It's not of works. I have nothing to boast of. The Bible, uh, the songs talk about, I have no other plea. No other plea. In fact, why don't you turn there in your hymnals? I think it's the, first, um, the very first song in our hymnal. It talks about my faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough for me that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough that, um, for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the sick. The lost he came to save. For me his precious blood was shed. For me his life was, gave, uh, was given. Uh, every bit of it's by grace. Every single um, bit of it's by grace. Oh, the love 
that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace, as the songwriter talks about, oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. And he did that for us as we celebrate that this week. This grace can't be held secret, though. We can't just hold on to this ourselves, and God never intended for it just to be shown to a certain group of people, just to Abraham or just to a certain group of people. No, not at all. He wanted it to be revealed prominently. The Bible says here, did you see that in this verse, in verse 11, hath appeared to how many men? Does God mean what he says? Does he mean all? Does he mean your neighbor? Does he mean the neighbor that that mows grass clippings into the street and you get upset about that? Does he mean that neighbor, the one that drives into your yard? Does he mean that neighbor too? Does he mean the annoying co-worker at work? That person too? Does he mean that family member that always brings drama to the family gatherings? That person too? Yes, it's appeared to all men. The idea of appeared is to, to come into sight, to come into sight or view. And, and this isn't something that we have asked for. It's something that God gave to us. And it was at a moment in time. Listen, the time when Jesus came down to earth, the angels uh, reveal it to the shepherds. And the time that he reveals himself and presents himself as he rides into Jerusalem as the king who would bring true peace, as the prince of peace, who would bring the peace to, of salvation to them, he has appeared to all men. Think about the triumphal entry. At that moment, the grace of God appearing to man, I'm coming to die on the cross for the sins of the people that, yes, they will put me there. I'm dying for their sins. And so it says it's appeared to all men without discrimination. Without discrimination. Now, listen, we have a problem in our country. We've, we've lost, uh, we've lost our, our thought process that you know, uh, walls are important. Even back in, inside of uh, in the book of Nehemiah, we learn a lesson from the word of God that walls are important for any, any, any society. Amen? We forgot that. But listen, we need to remember something as believers. We have to balance something out. Well, I believe that there ought to be walls and we ought to, have a, 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 we ought to deal with those that come into our country illegally. I, I believe that 18,000 people coming across the border is a, is, is a bit of a problem and it's going to catch up with us. I believe in that. But listen, God has allowed those people to come in whether we like it or not and we do have an obligation to give the gospel and love every person that's in this country. right? And it's hard. You know, Jonah went through that whole nationalistic turmoil. You want me to go where? Nineveh? Those are our enemies. You want me to go there and preach the gospel? Yeah. So we have to realize, yes, God God was the one that talks about walls. God was the one that, and right in his word, he says that a nation without him is in reproach. And God was the one that, that set that in scripture. But we must understand that God's grace has appeared to all men. All men. And we, we have to look at all men without discrimination, knowing they're an eternal soul they're going to spend somewhere forever, in, uh, forever, whether it's hell or whether it's heaven, they're going to spend somewhere forever. And the grace of God has appeared to all, all men. There's an unbiblical teaching. Talk about it from time to time. The doctrine of Calvinism that, that limits atonement. Uh, and part of that doctrine is, is just that, limited atonement, where it's just for a select few or for the elect. Friends, we don't believe that. We believe that the Bible teaches that the, the blood of Jesus Christ is available to, uh, um, to cleanse the sins of all men. And the grace of God has appeared to 
All men. All men. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm thankful. You're not going to witness the wrong person tomorrow. There's not one of these people that cannot be saved. Praise the Lord. The grace of God has appeared to all, all men. For mine eyes, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 30, Simeon said, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of, do you remember? All people. All people. He knew that Jesus was the answer for all people. And that's the, the grace that is found in salvation. What a wonderful grace it is. 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times to you. He's declared, he's, made, he's, he's come into sight, he's appeared to all men. So I find myself, and I hope you do too, Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the gift of your grace. I don't deserve it, but I sure do thank you for it. Sure do thank you for it. And are we doing our part to share that grace with someone else? Listen, there's a world, as we talked about this morning, that's very, very confused, and we need to bring clarity to that confusion. But we also need to, we also need to be people that help them to understand that the grace has appeared to them. There are people that are trapped in their sin, trapped in their bondage, trapped in their hurt, trapped in their depression, trapped in their sinful lifestyles or lifestyles that they have had things inflicted upon them. They don't know that the grace of God has appeared to them. And we need to help them to understand that, take the word of God and help them to understand. And so I want us to notice Colossians 1 and verse number 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of of the truth of the gospel which has come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. What's Paul saying to the Colossian believers? There was a day where you heard the gospel and you realized this grace was for me and this grace has appeared for me. It's for me. It's a gift for me. Have you ever been in a situation where something's being handed out, a, a good gift is being handed out? I remember taking my daughter Sabrina uh, to the on the grand opening of the Aldi uh, in Beaver Creek. And it was a big deal because it got taken out by the, by the tornado. Rem remember that? And, and the roof was torn off and Oh, it would, they had just built that, but they, they had advertised that there was going to be, there was going to be uh, gift cards given out in line. So I don't remember, it was a Saturday morning, I believe, and it was early. It was like 5.30 early. And uh, we were there, my daughter Sabrina and I were uh, there in line, sit, uh, sitting there and waiting for these things that they're going to they're gonna give out. I did not get... I, I, I did get a gift card, but I didn't get the, I didn't get the big gift card, all right? I, and they were giving them out randomly, all right? So there are times you might, be, you might be waiting for something really good, and you don't get a part of it. Hey, listen, there is no missing out on this. It is available for everyone. It's available for everyone that you will meet this week, and we thank the Lord for that. So the grace that saves us out of the world is the same grace that sets us apart from the world. So that's what Titus or Paul moves on to talk to us about and really lay another foundation. The reason you ought to live with, with good relationships within this church family, according to verses 1 through 10, and the reason you ought to live with good relationships in the work, workplace, verse 10, is because the grace of God that saves us. It ought to make your life different. You ought to have different relationships in here. You're, the way that you go about relationships ought not be how the world goes about relationships. Will, they did that to me and I'm just done. There ought to be grace. There ought to be the grace of God. And friends, 
it ought to change us. You being saved tonight ought to change the way that you interact in this place. Don't allow the devil to get in here and allow gossip to be running around. Don't allow slander to be running around. You say, people do that? Yeah, it happens, and it happens. We glamorize this, but it happens. Our relationships right within this, this family ought to be so different because the grace of God that brings salvation. Do you agree with me about that? But it ought to also be different because the grace of God that sanctifies. You all, uh, we're all on a journey, and I've said this before, in order to keep moving forward, there has to be a culture of humility. We're all growing. There's not one perfect person in here, not you and not anyone else. Now, sometimes we act like we're the perfect ones and everyone else is messed up. You know what I'm talking about? I know this might be stepping on a little bit of toes. That's fine. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes we act like we have it all together and no one else does. And we judge everyone according to our standard. You aren't the standard. Jesus is. Friends, there has to be a culture of humility in a church in order for a church to go forward with unity, in order for there to be growth. We're all growing, and we all need to grow compared to him. We all have steps to take. From myself to the youngest person here to the oldest person here, we all have steps to take. We're all on a journey together. There has to be a culture of kindness, not criticism. Kindness, not criticism. We're going to mess up. There's going to be things that we do and you know what? There's a time where you don't, a person might not even realize they've hurt. And we can get in there and we'll want to criticize, well, you know what, I, and we want to make all this assumption that they did this, this, and this because of this, right? You with me about this? This, this, and this. Listen, a culture of kindness and not criticism is going is to give that other believer the benefit of the doubt. God saved you from every single one of your sins, Right? You can forgive someone of one of their sins. You can. Sometimes right within a, within a church family, we, we get like, well, I can never get over that. Hold up. God got over all of your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. Praise the Lord for that. So I want to encourage us, have right relationships. The, the, the grace of God that saves us should help us have right relationships. That's the foundation. Titus is telling, uh, Paul is telling Titus. But also the grace that sets us apart. So let's think about this. This grace for sanctification. Now, someone give me, help us out. Let's be in class tonight for a, for a moment. What is the word sanctification or sanctify mean? To set apart? We're going to go set apart. It does have that idea, the, the, you know, the, the cleaning up, making it be more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so we'll take, we'll take that. We'll blend those two together. But be set apart from the world to what? Jesus Christ. Okay, sometimes we get this all mixed up. We get more about we're set apart from the world, and we're all about what we're against and what we're not for. Hold on. We need to be a whole lot more about who we're for. So let's focus on, I'm set apart unto Christ. By the way, that keeps our attitude right. Because sometimes when we think about, oh, this is what I'm against, and that's what I don't do, we can kind of get really nasty. 
We can, we can just get ugly in our, in, our, in our demeanor with other people, and we can even allow pride to, um, to soak in because I don't do that anymore. You do it, your family does it, but I don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? So we're all about towards Christ. We're being set apart to, unto Christ. Listen, that ought to be the, the heart cry of every single one of us here tonight is I just want to be set apart more and more every day to Jesus Christ. Amen? So... This matter of sanctification is a process. Salvation is a miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime. Uh, Paul said this to the Philippian believers, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is that? Well, it began at the moment of salvation. He began it, and now he is continuing that process all the way to the day that you see Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. And one day, we will be completely set apart. And what do we call that? What's the doctrinal term that we call that? Does anyone remember? Glorification. Praise the Lord. We'll be glorified. We'll have a new body. But we'll be completely set apart from sin, from the presence of sin, the power of sin. There will be no more sin in us. Uh, Mount Rushmore took about 14 years in order to complete. The original sculptor uh, was a, a man by the name of uh, Gutzon. Uh, I think I'm saying that somewhat right. Probably not. Um, but anyway, someone, anyone help me out with that? No, you don't know either, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, so the, the, this is a mammoth sculpture, right? Mammoth. And 14 years. So how in the world was this man uh, to, 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 to make these faces... Um, uh, make these faces to, to, to appear and to look, uh, look proportional and look right and everything. Another artist uh, was asked, and I have no idea who was actually asked this question. Um, it's attributed to a lot, including, I think, uh, well, I, I don't even jump into it, but there's, it's attributed to a lot. But how do you, how do you make a sculpture? And uh, so we'll just apply it to Mount Rushmore. How do you make a sculpture? Well, you chip away everything that doesn't look like one of the four president's faces. You chip away everything that does not look like one of the four president's faces. And you know what that's uh, what God is doing in your life? He's chipping away everything that does not look like Jesus. Now we can resist that. We can push back against that. But you know what? This is a day-by-day -day moment. Tomorrow he's going to chip off something that doesn't look like Christ. And it might mean you blow it, and you mess up tomorrow, and you, you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit about that, and the Holy Spirit says, let's not do that again. And you, in your mind, you're thinking, you know, I don't want to do that again. And he chipped off something. He's gotten something out of your life that doesn't look like Christ. And so the next day, Tuesday, you, you get up and say, you know, I'm going to honor Christ, and I'm not going to do that same thing again. Well, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be like Jesus Christ in this instance. And so he chips away all of this. That is sanctification. And so uh, notice what it says here, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So the grace of God not only appears to bring us salvation, but it also has come to teach us something. This idea of teaching is to educate or to rear, uh, rear up. And so we're all children of God, those that have placed faith in Jesus Christ. We are being reared up by grace, we're being reared up by grace, just like a parent rearing up a child. We're being raised up. We're being trained up. We're being nurtured up in order to learn lessons. And so this is something that God is constantly doing. God's grace is constantly rearing us up, teaching us. And what is it teaching us? 
to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So grace teaches us what to deny. Grace teaches us what to say no to. And uh, I remember my, my great aunts, uh, we drove through Kentucky a couple, uh, uh, like a week or so ago, and I was thinking about my great aunts. They lived in Frankfort, Kentucky, just a couple blocks down from the Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, the, the capital of, of Kentucky there in Frankfort. And they had that, I don't know, has anyone been there before? You've seen the giant clock in the back of the Capitol, the, the garden clock with the, the huge arms. I don't know if it's still there, but I just remember that. But they lived in, in a historic section of Frankfurt, just a couple blocks down. They lived in the same house they were born in until their 90s. They never married because they got tired of, of uh, guys, boys chasing after them, so they just never married. That was the way they dealt with that. And so uh, they never married uh, godly, godly women. Uh, they, uh, they lived together, and godly women all, all the way uh, uh, to the end of their life. They're just sweet, sweet ladies. They, they taught us all sorts of uh, uh, Southern charm, and uh, things weren't, uh, uh, we'd say it's done, no, it's finished. And, you know, they, they corrected us on all our English and, and tried anyway. Um, but I remember when we would come to visit them, I mean, there were, art, there were, historical, there were historical parts to their house that, that were very, very valuable um, and so when we would come to visit, you have five boys, one girl, five boys in your house with, with priceless things and things that can break. Uh, it's nerve-wracking. Um, but they would do it fairly gracefully, but they would sit us down in the front parlor. And uh, would, we weren't even allowed to sit on the couches because they were priceless too. And everything was just, it was just like a museum that you walked in. And we got the do's and the don'ts. The do's and the don'ts. This is what you do not do. And I can remember, you don't do this with a bathtub drain and, and all sorts of things. You just, you don't, you, and you do not, whatever you do, sit on that chair out in the, out in the hallway. And uh, so anyway, uh, we got the do's and the don'ts. Do you know what the grace of God is doing? Here's some don'ts. Here's some don'ts. You're to deny ungodliness. Don't be ungodly. Shun all ungodliness. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to stay identified with them. I'm, not, I'm going to identify with the Lord. And he said, no, choosing rather to enjoy uh, uh, the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And why did he do that? Because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. It was better to him to follow after God than to stay with, with Pharaoh and his family. Say no to ungodliness. Anything that is not godlike. So break that word down. Ungodlikeness. Children, ungodlikeness. You are, God's grace wants you to say no to ungodlikeness. Listen, did Jesus, children, look, every child, look up here. Did Jesus did Jesus obey his parents? Luke chapter number two, I believe the end of the, uh, the chapter, after he was up in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old, he went down and he was subject to them. No matter what your home life is, do you know that Jesus, and people didn't always say good things about Jesus' home, right? He had a stepdad because who was his father? Children, do you all understand that? Because he's, he's God. Jesus was God. So uh, he had a stepdad, and you know what? He still was subject to them. He obeyed them, right? He obeyed them. So is it, is it godly, is it godlike, children, to obey your parents? Well, that's what Jesus did. 
Do you think Jesus was ever unkind to his siblings? No. Do you ever think he said a bad word? No. See, these, it, we're, the grace of God teaches us to be God-like. It teaches us to be Christ-like, and it teaches us to say no to un-God-likeness. But it also tells us to deny worldly lust. This is more than just sexual sin. This is worldly cravings, lust for wealth, power, pleasure, fame, anything else that is essentially worldly. And we're talking about the world system, the world thinking, the ideology. And God says, I want you to say no to that. Because of my grace, you can say no to that. Love not the world. If you know it, say it with me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Say no to worldly lust, that which leads us away from God towards ungodlikeness. There's so many today. There's so many allurements. Do you realize there, sometimes we have this, this insatiable desire to be in the know? And we have to know everything. And sometimes, do you know what? We start trying to dive into things that we shouldn't know. Maybe some things that are sinful. Do you know what the Bible says in the Ephesians? It talks about, it, don't even let it be named once among you. We're to be simple concerning that which is evil, wise concerning that which is good. But sometimes, well, I just got to know. I, I just want to know about that. No, you don't have a, we don't have a need to be diving into the, all the wickedness and the, the depths of wickedness of this world. That lust that creeps up. I just, I just have to. I have this strong desire for that. God says, no, don't go after that. Looking diligently. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, it was referenced a little bit ago. Uh, looking diligently, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Well, how do we fail the grace of God? In this particular case, we allow bitterness to spring up. We allow bitterness to, to stay active in our life. And when it springs up, we need to deal with it, like was, was mentioned in that testimony. We, we need to deal with it and move on. But we can fail the grace of God when we allow that to, to rise up in our hearts. When we allow it to stay there and we don't deal with it, I should say. We can fail the grace of God. We don't want to fail the grace of God. We want to be dealing with the things that God says to deny. But also, grace teaches us how to behave. Notice there in verse number 12 that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Kids, I want you to say it. Kids and teenagers, I want you to say that with me. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So right now, God wants you to live live that way soberly soberly notice this word live we're to conduct ourselves not just inside of our homes not just inside of the church it's easy to hear right we're to conduct ourselves everywhere everywhere according to the grace of god we're to live soberly everywhere we're to live righteously everywhere we're to live godly everywhere that we go uh, isn't that what jesus called us to be salt and light everywhere we go how does that salt and light come about it comes from living soberly righteously and godly we're the brightest light we're the saltiest salt when we're living soberly righteously and godly when we're not hiding it now uh he says live soberly that's to live moderately wise in our manners and and in keeping self-control do we not live in a world that's out of control what does the world say if it feels good Right. If it feels good, do it. 
That's heathenistic. That's not of, of God. And, and we can allow that right into our minds as, as Christians. He says, no, no, don't go after their way. Live soberly. Live in control of your passions. Live in control of your desires. There's going to be things that you desire that just are not godly and are not right, and you need to say no to. No, I want to live righteously. Proverbs says this, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, okay? Well, God says, this is what I, I, this is what I want in your life. This is your sanctification. What's he going to say next? That you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So he gives it to us. This is, this is how practical God gets with our sanctification. I don't want you to live on just pursuing everything. If it feels good, do it. I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live in sanctification. And yes, that means to abstain from fornication. I want you to live in sanctification and in honor. But I also want you to live righteously. Righteously. In accordance with moral and social standards. In accordance with God's standards. Right living. Godly living. He has shown the old man. What doth the Lord require of thee? but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. We ought to be interested in living our lives in this way, living righteously in this way. But listen, we ought to be interested in being that salt and light everywhere that we go and encouraging others to live in the same way, drawing them to the Lord Jesus Christ so they can be clean on the inside so they're able now to, to live that life. They're able to make the choice not to sin. They're able... They, they have that choice. Do you realize that the lost world does not have a choice? When Satan comes knocking, when they are presented with sin, they sin. Do you realize that? That is the truth of Romans 6, 7, and 8. We're in bondage. We're, we're, we're enslaved to Satan. And so when Satan says, do this, we obey. But you know the great and glorious truth is when you come into Christ, you're a new creature, and now you have a choice. You can either listen to the old man, the flesh, the worldly lusts, or you can listen to the Holy Spirit. And you know what? At every single temptation that you will face this week, there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There's a, a point to jump off. And I guarantee you, every one of you knows when you've passed that way of escape. You know what I'm talking about? You're being tempted, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't say it, I shouldn't say it. And, and God's going to give you the grace. And he's saying in your spirit, walk away, walk away, say something kind. And you know you should take that, but you go through and say, right? And you know you should have taken the way of escape. There's a way of escape for every single one of us so that we can be delivered out of that temptation. Habakkuk is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It might seem a little bit different to you, but I was required to do a paper on it in college, and it's been my favorite ever since. I've studied it a lot, but you know one of the things that intrigues me about Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter number one and verse number one, the burden of Habakkuk the prophet did see, O oh Lord, how long shall I and thou uh, uh, shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Have you ever said that to the Lord? How long am I going to pray, and you're not going to hear me? None of you are going to admit to that. Anyone ever prayed that way? I have. A few times. More than a few times. 
even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack. Judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Okay, here's what, here's what uh, Habakkuk is saying. He's, he's looking around in the nation of Israel and he's seeing all this injustice everywhere. Remember, the grace of God teaches us to live righteously and godly in this present world. Right? Soberly, righteously, and godly. So he's looking around and he's seeing all this unrighteousness all this injustice this lack of justice everywhere he's seen wrong things going on he's seen violence go on he's seen iniquity he's seen the the innocent innocent being hurt he's seen all this violence and i cannot i look at this um, this passage of scripture and I, I i cannot uh help but see the parallel between what habakkuk saw in the nation of israel and the senseless wrong injustice and violence that was going on in the streets and what is going on in our nation right now do you realize some of our cities like even our, our own city of uh, of dayton nearby uh, the 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 crime rate the injustice is god blind to this does god see this uh, should it bother us listen we are not just to live sober righteous lives inside of this building and inside of our homes and inside of our little cocoons we're to we're to seek we're to seek that that god the level as my friend byron fox says that the the level of righteousness is raised we're to be a part of that that's why we're here we're we're to be that salt and light and so there is injustice in our land it ought to bother those that that believe in justice and that live righteously it ought to bother us and by the way the closer that we get to god the more bothered we're going to be about it the more troubled we're going to be about it when we see all this wickedness going on he talks of the spoiling the the robbing the violence there the strife the contention do we not live in a divided day everywhere everyone is ready to just divide against you being taught in our schools driving wedges between groups it, it, it's everywhere races is you know, just be divided you know, learn to not like each other is this godly help me out here is it godly is this of god is all this division of god not at all it bothered habakkuk and let me just encourage you when we're living soberly righteously and godly we'll be bothered by what we're seeing in our nation right now not because it, it upsets our comfort but because it grieves our holy God. And we are we're here not called to win every battle. We're here to stand and to stand soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And do you realize that God has never separated his people? Jesus, even in John 17, he prayed, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you protect them inside the world while they're there. And that I'm praying also for all those that come to me through their witness in the world. He's never called us to live these separated, cocooned lives. He calls us to live separate from the evil, not to, to, not to get involved in it. But he's never, he's not asked us to isolate. He wants us to allow his grace and his Holy Spirit to insulate us, to protect us from the evil. That's what he's praying in John 17. Lord, take your word and purify them and sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. But as they're in the world, help them to be light, help them to be salt, help them to stand up for me. We're called to stand. We're called to stand. 
Listen, it's very hard to stand when we are not living soberly, righteously, and godly. Do you agree with me on that? Do you hear what I'm saying? It is very hard to stand boldly, confidently in the midst of a crooked and perverse world when we are not personally uh, uh, standing up uh, uh, for the Lord. Uh, Toby, uh, where are you, bud? Can you come up here for a second? Can you help me out? What is your verse that you quote every single week? Can you come, on, uh, come on up here? That's a good verse. Come on. What, what's his verse? He doesn't know what's going on. Did I just wake him up? <laughs> come on up here, bud. Can you help me out for a second? What's the verse that you quote every week for us? Okay, so we're going uh, to turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 15 here. And uh, I, wa- I want to, so it's 2.14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Okay, so that, that's supposed to happen at home, right? You're not supposed to murmur and dispute at home. You're not supposed to murmur and dispute at church. You're not supposed to murmur and dispute at school or out in the store. Do you ever get tempted to murmur and dispute out in the store when maybe mom doesn't put in the cart what you want to have in the cart? You don't know about that? Okay, we won't go there any further. All right, so here's what I want you to notice, though. I want everyone to notice this, the very next verse. Do you know why? Do you know why we're not to do that? That ye might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights. Do you realize when we are not living soberly, righteously, and godly, we have no confidence, no platform to stand up for God in the middle of a wicked and perverse world? And you know why the church is so diluted in America? is because so much sin is inside the church. We don't, we don't get bothered about gossip anymore. We don't get bothered about criticism. We don't get bothered about going on year after year after year with unforgiveness in a heart toward another brother and sister in Christ. We don't get bothered anymore about what we view. Well, it's just what, it's just what we do. We don't get bothered anymore about giving more time to the world and to the world's entertainment than, than giving time to God. Well, I don't got any time to spend with God. Well, hold up. We got time to scroll. We got time to scroll. Friends, we will never, we will never be the, the salt and light. We'll never be able to stand up boldly in this world if we don't get back to making sure that we're honoring God and, st- uh, and, and allowing his grace to teach us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So that verse you repeat, um, repeat for us, do you know how important it is so that you can be a light and a witness to all of your friends and to the people that see you even when you're in the store? Got it? Say amen. Amen. All right. Then we're teaching you young. You can go back to your seat. Thank you for coming, coming up. That just came to my mind because he, he repeats that. And that's so very, it's so very true. It's just a foundation. It's just the foundation for our lives. And so I think about the injustice that's around us, friends. I want to encourage us. We need to be, we need to be standing up in this day. And you will have the courage to stand up in this day against the evil if you are living a sober, righteous, and godly life. You know, I think about this fact, I just heard this yesterday, how much abortions we were, we were funding in other countries as a nation. Can you think about how much more heinous? It's, it's, it, we ourselves participating in, in it. And by the way, uh, I praise the Lord for the advances that have been made. I believe there's a new generation. I believe we're going to see this overturned. Uh, and I, I pray for that day. We long for that day. By the way, just overturning a law does not change people's hearts. 
right? We have to love people, help them, help those that have been afflicted, help the men and the women that have been afflicted by, by uh, the scar of abortion. But uh, do you realize that our country was paying, paying for other countries to have abortions? You think about Planned Parenthood, what a wicked, perverse organization that funds the, the murder of babies in our country. What a wicked, wicked thing that's going on. It ought to bother us. If we're standing soberly, righteously, and godly, it ought to bother us. It ought to bother us. It ought to motivate us to action. Think about the deceit and corruption. It ought to bother us when we see deceit uh, and, and the truth falling in the streets. It ought to bother us that, uh, that happening in um, the United States of America, you know this whole thing about the village raises the child? You hear this? The village raises the child? That is coming in full swing. When you're seeing this type of stuff happen out in, in, in California where, where children can go through gender-changing uh, surgeries uh, without parents' consent, when they're, when they're talking like that, it, that's a problem. That's a real big problem. And I, I mentioned some of that this morning uh, before, um, before I realized last week I wasn't going to get to my message here, but um, I want us to realize this is, a, this is a problem. Right now, we saw Disney over the last couple weeks. Why, do you realize, Disney's been going away from God for many, many years, okay? So I, I, I wrote a, an article, you know, several years ago about this matter. And it goes all the way back to the 80s. I mean, it's a Trojan horse in some ways inside of our homes. Um, but understand, when they are saying by the end of the year, they will have 50% of their casts being LGBTQAI+, and that's what's going to be in front of your your kids. That's what's going to be in front of the generations. Listen, we ought to love them and long for them to receive Jesus Christ, should we not? What does, what does an adulterer need? We all know this, come on. Jesus Christ. What does a homosexual need? What does a, a, a gay person need? What does a person who's struggling with gender confusion need? It all goes back to this. We ought to love them and help them, help them. But you know what? We don't need to set it in front of our children. And, uh, and uh, right along, there's some, there's some harmless, things, uh, harmless, harmless things on there that, you know, we enjoy some of the old ones, but you know what? We're just going to cancel it. We'll, we'll find maybe some of those old ones on, on DVD and put them in our home, but I, I don't need to continue paying for that. And that's whether you do that. Da 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 da